Hello and welcome to this episode of Essex by the Sea. I'm Owen Ward, exploring the Essex coast, finding out about the amazing and interesting stories it has to offer. Uh, before I introduce my guests for this episode, I'd just like to let you know that you can now listen to Essex by the Sea on your smart speaker. Just ask Alexa to play Essex by the Sea. Well, if you've been to the beach at Chalkwall and looked out into the river, you'll probably have noticed an eight-metre-high obelisk standing out in the river. This is the Crowstone, and it was built in the 1800s, and in the summer of 2021 has been given Grade 2 listed status. Alan Brody is the Senior Architectural Investigator at Historic England and author of a couple of books, including The Seafront, and joins me now to tell me more about the landmark. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Alan, thanks very much. For those that uh, perhaps don't know, let, let's start with the basics, shall we? What, what is the Crowstone and why is it there on the beach in Chalkwell? The Crowstone is an eight metre high obelisk that was erected in 1836 to 7. And it is to mark the eastern limit of the boundary of the City of London's jurisdiction over the River Thames. The City of London... Um, acquired um, the rights to control activities on the river um, as far back as 1197. And so this allowed them to control fisheries and to levy tolls for landing people and goods. Um, And what happened was that um, by the 19th century, there was a pressing um, sort of action by the government to to take back control, if you like, away from the city of London um, of the waterway. And so the idea was to reaffirm um, the sort of the boundary and the status uh, that, that the city had by erecting this obelisk here and as an equivalent one on the other side uh, of the river uh, in Kent. Um, and the one that you see today at Chalkwell um, actually stood for a long time alongside an earlier stone that had been less prominent uh, that had been erected in the 18th century. And you can now see that one in Prior Park in South End. It's been relocated to there. Yeah, we'll come on to, to that in just a second. But but yeah, looking at, at the at sort of map of the estuary, the, the Crowstone really is at the point where it's that really starts to widen out and, and the river becomes uh, the sea, doesn't it? And uh, I, I guess that's probably why they chose that that point and, and not a bit further out at sort of South End and Shoebury. Yes, I don't know quite why the boundary was set there in the 12th century. But as you say, uh, I once sailed across the, the North Sea and I remember this sort of, sort of coming, you know, suddenly you change from it being sea to being river and, and it is sort of roughly where you say so that may well be why that was the the limit that was set and thinking about it because obviously uh you know the the, the city of london that uh, was responsible for this would have controlled quite a lot of the, the sort of inland ports as it were you know your tilbury Grays at the time i'm sure gravesend uh, over in kent as well and, and and i'm sure there's lots of other smaller places on the kent side of the river as well as on the essex side that that was therefore quite important for for taxes i guess yeah i mean it was looked because you know you, you paid for sort of offloading goods um, um and so this was a major sort of source of income and it's no wonder that by the middle of the 19th century so about 20 years after the crowstone was erected the government um w- was looking to to take back uh, to take back this very sort of lucrative sort of uh, strand of finance 
you mentioned that uh, the stone that's there today uh, replaced uh, an older one. That was much uh, smaller. I, I guess probably when, when the tide was in, you might not have actually uh, been able to see it because when the tide comes in now uh, up against the current obelisk, you can still see it, can't you? Oh, yes, yes. No, it's still very prominent now. But as you say, a lower stone would have been, well, possibly not even broken the surface uh, before. I, I think it was a, that one dates from sort of the mid of, middle of the 18th century, that one. Um, and so 1836 to 7, uh, they decided to put in this new one because it would be seen at all, all uh, you know, levels of the tide. Do we know how it's actually got its name? Because it's quite an unusual name, isn't it, really? Yes, I don't know that. Um, it's something I was looking up, and I'm sure there are people who do know that, but uh, it's, it's something that's eluded me so far. I wonder whether it's something to do with, with crows perhaps sitting on it, and it's a you know, local thing that they said, oh, that's that's the crow stone. That is, I, I don't don't know, but of course it's gone on to give uh, its name to a number of things. There's, there's Crowstone Road in Chalkwell, uh, and uh, I know of a old people's residential house that uh, is named after it as well along the seafront. So uh, it very much is is a marker in Chalkwell. What does giving it the listing status that it's got uh, mean for that landmark? Well, I suppose there are two elements to, to listing something. Uh, one of the elements is is to celebrate a thing, in this case, the crowstone, mm. to celebrate, to, to highlight to people this is something of historical interest. Uh, this is something to be, uh, to be lauded and, and to be celebrated. The other dimension to listing is, of course, it comes with, with an element of protection. Um, once you have a, a listed building um, or a listed structure, there's another sort of level of sort of management required, you know, if you want to make alterations or, or even to remove or, or demolish something. Um, in the case of a grade two building, this would be something that the local authority exclusively would deal with. And it's just a way of, of adding sort of a level of protection to something like this, just to make sure that we maintain the, the best and do the best by our historic environment. Being literally in the river as the crowstone actually is, protecting it for the long term because it, it really is uh, open to the elements there, oh. uh, and and being able to protect it from from the uh, the waves and and the weather uh, is is something for the uh, sort of the, the the local authorities to to, to maintain and, and look after because otherwise it could simply uh, erode away. I guess. Well, I think I think it's a pretty solid piece of stone, but I mean. What, I, I don't know quite what the structure is beneath, but of course, you're probably slightly more worried about you know what it's sitting on, and um, hopefully it's bedded into something pretty solid. But it's managed to survive now for uh, what 180 years, 170 years. So uh, I think it's you know it's probably it's probably around for the long term. It's very true, but of course, it's something that you can only really go out and see up close and and, and touch it really uh, twice a day, unless you get your feet wet. Because <laughs> being out of the river, of course, you've got that that tide change uh, twice a day, um, and and that itself gives the the whole area that the Crowstone sits in quite a, uh, a sort of special place and, and setting for it, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, this sort of intertidal zone is fascinating because, you know, at one point of the day it's sea, at another point it's land, and, in, and 
and all stages in between. And it's a fascinating area archaeologically and also visually, and, and it's very sort of arresting. And the, the Crowstone reminded me a bit of, I don't, don't if you know the place um, at Sefton on Merseyside, um, it's, it's a beach there where the um, Anthony Gormley has installed, I think, about 100 uh, figures, you know, castings of his himself um, standing, partially in the sea, partially in the land, depending on, on the tide. And it's got that same effect, you know, but you've got all these sort of figures dotted around the beach. And the Crowstone has that feeling. It's got some presence, you know, because of its location in this intertidal zone. Yeah, and, and, and there is a noticeable uh, high tide mark where the water comes up at uh, the Absolutely, stone as well. Yeah. So when you're standing there at low tide, you, you really can get a, a sense of how, how deep the water is actually uh, at, at high tide. Um, uh, the Crowstone is, is one of the uh, places, landmarks, buildings to be listed uh, over the summer. What sort of other seaside places have also been listed? Well, it, it's, it's a, a really interesting mixture. On the, on the south coast is Hythe Pier. This is a, a, a mere 640 metres long, you know, about a third of the, the length of South End's world beating uh, sort of length, uh, which is a mile and a bit. Isn't it? And so it was a, a, a pier that was particularly for, for travelling rather than sort of a pleasure pier. There's also um, the town hall at Skegness, which was actually uh, built as a convalescent home and, and converted into uh, a town hall in 1964. I had one of my slightly more terrifying lecturing experiences there, standing in front of a, a crowd of expectant people wanting to hear me talk about the English seaside. But um, the gentleman who was bringing the projector and the the screen, as it was in those days, um, was stuck in traffic. So I had to entertain them with no slides for the first 20 minutes, which was no. quite a challenge. <laughs> so I have quite sort of warm feelings about that one. On the South Devon coast, there's a thing called the Coronation Boathouse, and it was built and opened in 1937. And what's really interesting about it is that it, it's a far from modern building. I mean, it looked like um, it's got a thatch roof, um, it's got um, figureheads of ships that sort of hold up the corners of the roof, and it's obviously built in a style to sort of echo kind of Elizabethan or, or Tudor England. And then there's um, a couple of new listings at Blackpool. Um, Blackpool is a place that I've actually written a book about and I have a great sort of affection for. Um, and the listings there are the what are known as the middle and lower colonnades you know south end has cliffs if you like you don't think of it mm. as cliffs but you know behind the seafront um as does does blackpool blackpool was very prone to uh, coastal erosion it's a very soft sort of um geology there and so they gradually have sort of effectively reinforced it by sea defences um, and this in the tall sort of part at the north of the the um, resort they've actually got these colonnades so they they act as effectively walkways and shelters but also a way of reinforcing the cliffs and the other thing that was listed at Blackpool is actually it's not one listing I think it's about eight Blackpool has the most amazing collection of um seaside shelters all built right at the beginning of the, the 20th century and about five of these were, were listed in the past and a further eight have now been listed um, and they're really interesting they are I mean they're all very similar they 
you can imagine them just being picked out of a catalogue, but they're, they're very um, sort of very prominent features on the seafront at Blackpool. So it's a real, really good mixture, and you know, and say all around the coast, um, and all sorts of different types of, of uh, listed structure. And that is what we're finding on Essex by the Sea is that it is the coastline so varied. I mean, even just our 350 miles of it here in Essex, you know, we've got the uh, sort of seafronts, the touristy parts like South End, and then there's the backwaters of uh, Walton where there's so much wildlife uh, and, and sort of right out on the dengue that's so remote that hardly anyone ever goes there. Um, and and, and uh, I suppose that mix just, just makes for a whole... Well, it makes your job very interesting, I would imagine. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to have to just do a couple of quick plugs, if I may, at this point. Um, got a, a big shout out for Walton on the Nays because my brother-in-law's mother owns a house at Walton on the Nays. And, and so he and my, and my sister-in-law um, quite often sort of spend time at Walton on the Nays, which I find re a really interesting place, a, a very, very interesting. And the other plug I should give is for my book about the seafront because it's about the seafront of England. So it's everything from the end of the seaside pier up to the first line of buildings. And as you said, it, it's amazing what's going on in this space. You know, you, you think of um, something like a high street and the high street has got shops, maybe flats above some houses and a few other things. But on the seafront, you've got entertainment, you've got working facilities, you've got houses, you've got... The seafront is often the the main transport route through through a town. What you don't see on the seafront is that it's also often the place where electricity and phone cables are running. It's where the sewerage system is at work. So while while people are sitting there on the seafront, they should look around for these kind of clues because you can see that it's a really important artery through any sort of seaside resort. And and my book on the seafront explores all this sort of stuff and and look it's everything from dustbins the, you know what you, at a seaside resort you need dustbins you know because there are lots of people how do you deal with that all the way up to how do you sort of you know deal with the sewerage that comes you know from a town um and so the seafront at every resort has got all these sort of dimensions and i think the crowstone is a very good indication that there's there's more to the seaside resort than just the seaside if you like there's a sort of great sort of Lots of interesting practical things, but also lots of sort of good history um, on the seafront. Absolutely, and I, I'm I'm just thinking uh, if you, if you were to take a wander uh, along the seafront, sort of from from Chalkwell, you could go towards Leon Sea. You're right alongside the railway line, uh, and before you then come into Old Lee, you've got the pubs, um, yacht clubs. There's um, then all the the sort of small fishing boats that go out to uh, you know to, to to fish in the in the estuary there, uh, and the cockle sheds, and 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 sort of the other way as you as you say, there's well there's there's toilets I can think of, there's yeah. um, you know a bit further along we've got the casino, there's some yeah. houses, yeah, and and even sort of cliff gardens as you mentioned the the cliffs of South End we don't think of them as you know they're not cliffs like Dover but they're they're uh, they are cliffs nonetheless and actually. You the cliff lift that's there as well before you even get to the pier and all the amusements on the other side yeah. uh, there is yeah, quite I, a lot yeah i mean I, I i should have mentioned gardens as well because they're, they're a really sort of important factor um you know just just you know letting a bit of nature sort of breathe in what is otherwise 
bizarrely, when you think about it, the seaside resort is a very urban place, a very urban experience. Um, we don't think of it quite that way because we've got all the sea and the beach, but there's gardens, I think, are really quite important, just you know, giving you a, a sort of bit of green space in an otherwise very urban environment. Yes, I'd never really considered that, but it is actually. It's it's a there's a there's a lot of concrete <laughs> between between Lee and Shubri Ness thinking about it with all the sea defences as well, but uh, to to help stop that erosion, I guess as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, without without the the, the, the sometimes monumental, nay even occasionally ugly lumps of concrete, um, you know, seaside resorts would. Uh, would be in trouble to mm. put it mildly mm, definitely um well uh, you've clearly you know visited uh, one or two seaside places you've mentioned uh, walton already perhaps for, for someone who's not visited the essex coast before or, or perhaps does live in essex but is looking for a good day out is there one particular place that, that you would say you definitely got to go there I have a lot of affection for Southend. Um, I nearly lived in Southend when when I was working in London. Uh, I did with my wife and I uh, looked at houses in Southend, and in the, in the end, I ended up getting transferred to, to Wiltshire. So, um, um, so I've still got a lot of affection for Southend, and it was a place my children used to go with their grandmother for sort of nice days out from from Ilford to uh, to uh, Southend. So, um, yeah. I think it's a really interesting place and great, great history behind it. Fantastic. Uh, Alan, we could spend uh, uh, much longer chatting, but, but time is against us. So thanks ever so much for, for joining me on this edition of Essex by the Sea. My pleasure. Thank you. Don't forget, you can follow Essex by the Sea on social media. And now you can also listen in even more places. Just ask Alexa to play Essex by the Sea. So until next time, thanks very much for listening.